Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. I'm Lloyd, I'm this show's engineer, and you're listening to Privacy Piracy. Your host is Mari Frank. She's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, and she's testified many times in the Congress and California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. You may have seen her on TV, on numerous shows, and or heard her on the radio. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Good evening, Mari. Oh, good evening, Lloyd, and thank you. You're going to get well, and we're going to just send all that healing energy toward you. Yep. Well, I am so excited about tonight's interview because I have seen this woman on Fox News. I've read about her, and I actually have her wonderful book sitting right in front of me called Living in Hell, Islamic Iran, Ghazal Omid, Lost Soul, and this is an incredible book and an incredible woman. She's so brave and courageous. It's just a thrill to have her on. Ghazal Omid is a human rights activist. She's a personal privacy proponent, a media commentator on Iran, and the author of Living in Hell. Ghazal Omid is an Iranian expatriate and the author of Living in Hell, which is an autobiography and a political memoir. Her book has caused quite a controversial stir in ultra-conservative Iranian society. She is possibly the first Muslim woman to challenge a traditional taboo in speaking out publicly against child abuse and incest among some Iranian families. And she also challenges Iranian society, which prefers to hush up rather than address the greatly ignored problems, and that especially with the look, looking down upon women who have been victimized. A disturbing truth about Gamal Omid's life is that it is also the story of millions of Muslim women. As a result of standing up for herself, she was shunned by her family, which she in turn had to divorce. Throughout the Iran-Iraq war with her home in a prime Iraqi target area, she and her mother went to bed at night expecting to be killed in bombing raids. She grew up in an oppressed society that taught children to hate people of different cultures, but she refused to hate someone she didn't know. Strengthened by her education and curious mind, she was not poisoned by the propaganda of the government that was imprisoning and killing its opponents by the thousands. When she was in the university, she was abducted by the secret police. She escaped temporarily by jumping from the speeding kidnap car. She was seriously injured but rescued by some people on the street, but soon afterwards, she was taken to prison and she was given a choice, sign a document stating that uh, the abduction never happened or remain in prison until she did sign it. She describes the horrid prison conditions in which women and babies were held indefinitely. After being released, she was constantly watched and received threatening letters. 
She fled Iran through France to Holland. From there, using a fraudulent Algerian passport, she flew to refugee status in Canada, arriving alone, penniless, and without language in an alien land. She describes her life in Canada, her personal growth and adjustment to a new culture. And she is now in Washington, D.C., living there, trying to deal with Congress. She knows a lot about al-Qaeda. She knows what should be done about post-9-11 and the Iraqi war. And poor thing, she receives threatening hate email, such as, God will send you to the devil and you will roast in hell. Gazelle calls herself a rebel with a cause, and she encourages others not to be afraid of the unknown, saying she has lost much but gained more in her liberating process. She is a very courageous woman. She's considered a personal privacy and human rights activist. She's been an expert commentator on Iran and the issues of terrorism in the Middle East. And she appears frequently on Fox News and other national media to speak the truth of what's happening in Iran. To learn more, please visit livinginhell.com and also Ghazal Omid, that's G-H-A-Z-A-L-O-M-I-D.com. And we are so thrilled that you're joining us from the East Coast, Ghazal. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's, very, it's really a pleasure to be on your show. Well, you know, you have so much to teach us. And you grew up in a, in a really rough time during the Iranian Revolution. What was that like? Well, uh... I uh, the the first thing I can tell you I wish it upon nobody to be in that uh, situation, but um, it's almost like a, if you put a child uh, to a washer machine and you expect them to grow up, um, it's it's chaotic, it's uh, horrifying, it's um, dangerous, and most of all it's a brainwash um, machine to sort of change that child forever. Um, Unfortunately, or fortunately for me, this um, pain was subjected upon me, maybe for a reason, or at least I'm using it for a reason. I think of myself as somebody who lost her childhood, who lost her youth, um, who has nothing left of um, the dreams that uh, she had one time. But her bigger dreams are changing one child at a time. So if you can change the children, we will never see another war in the world. Uh, we will never see suicide bombers. We will never see 9-11. And uh, as they say, it's true that if you can't achieve your own dream through your own childhood, make it through others. You know, it reminds me of that picture that you must have seen also in the newspaper. It was in the Los Angeles time of this little tiny two-year-old in a suicide bomber outfit. Yes. Yes, yes. And that that just when you were talking about you know the whole life being changed and your childhood be taken away. Just imagine, yeah. I mean, how how help me understand the extremism that would do that to a baby. How, well, those children, unfortunately for them, they grow up uh, to become suicide bombers in the future. They become the martyr, or they actually the, to to say it better, to say it the right way, they become the toy or the tools of um, of next 9/11, next next people who want to do something horrible to humanity. We should understand if we get that child before they get to him or her. We can actually save that child. We can save ourselves from uh, um, an agonizing fight, a never-ending fight, I must add. So for us to just fight with the terrorist is not good enough. Right. uh, For us just to forget about the children and assume that, you know what, um, um, I I have no time for them, that's not good enough excuse because they should be our priority. 
Um, I have started a nonprofit organization since I have come to Washington, D.C., and since uh, the book has come out. And I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, I had forgotten my country when I left Iran after what you described. You know what? I decided I want nothing to do with Iran anymore. If they want to change, they have to do as they did with their own power. But it's funny. When God wanted you to do something, you would try not to, and he would make sure that every door is closed on you until you go back to the path that God wanted you to be on it. Right. Uh, <laughs> It almost as if you were chosen for a reason. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> it's very, it's very honorable. But uh, I've always said, if I had been shown the contract, I wouldn't sign it. Right, right. <laughs> it's it's great when you make it there, but it's an Everest walk when, yes. by the time you want to get there. So when I left Iran, I decided I have nothing to do with uh, Iran. I don't want to continue. I just want to be left alone and um, live my own life. Uh, the book came in based on a bizarre twist of circumstances. I actually almost committed suicide because of the pain I was subjected in my life mm-hmm. and because I felt completely alone. When your family shuns you and you are in a new culture, you don't speak a word of that language. Right. As I described in my book, it would be easier to be uh, left alone in orbit. Right, right. Totally alienated from everyone. It, yeah. is, it is very difficult. Um, it's not just the language that I had difficulty with. I mean, language is just one aspect of um, this culture. It's very easy to learn. It took me three months to learn English. but the, And the you col- speak it beautifully, Gazelle. Oh, thank you so very much. <laughs> You're very kind. But uh, the, the cultural factor that makes us so different, yes. the anthropology of us, it's, it's the hardest part for, for it was the hardest part for me to get right and um, almost like being in the fifth dimension huh oh yes <laughs> yes it, it's uh, it almost it almost as if I felt I had um, flew to another planet and I couldn't right. get used to the life they had right. uh, it doesn't really matter what part of um, this world we come from because um, you are on your own when your family or your friends or your, your whatever you thought you had a, um, a sort of umbilical cord with them. They no longer want a part of you. Um, you, you become depressed. Right. So that happened. After that, I went through a series of therapy. Uh, the therapist who I mentioned her name in the bottom of my book, Gaden Hammond, she saved my life. And she said, um, I want you to take a look into yourself and see what parts are missing. After that she saved me, she passed away. I didn't know that she, was, she passed away. They didn't, they didn't indulge that information to me. Hmm. Uh, I kept going back to her and, um, until I realized that she no, she's no longer here. But she told me, you write this book, you save lives. I didn't understand at the time what she meant. Right. I wrote the book in about 30 days, 29 days. Oh, my gosh. And and it's, uh, it's like, it's thank huge. You. <laughs> thank you. Well, unfortunately for me, uh, I uh, actually, I have to see the word in front of me in order to type. I, I'm not one of those writers that's sitting in front of a computer trying to think about things. Right. It has to be in me, and then I unload it on computer. Right. Um, the 2,500-word essay takes me about an hour and a half to write. Yeah. And so it, it wasn't the actual time that I put to this. But, when but it I, was really flowing from you. Very much so. Very yes, much. Uh, yes. And when I wrote it, uh, it became a therapeutic sort of event for me. Right. And in process, I tried to leave that in there for the other women because, remember, women in Iran have never been given a chance, in, at least in the last few hundred years, never given a chance to speak up their mind, 
never been given a chance to stand up and say, hey, this is not right. A few, just, just to give you an example, a few days ago, my mother called me from Iran saying that my neighbor, uh, the male neighbor, just threw his wife from seven floors up oh. downstairs. Oh, my and God. And nobody actually pressed charges against him. Right. So we are living... She was his chattel, his property. Yes. Yes, basically. Yes. And we don't know if she's still alive, dead. Mm. We don't know if she become a vegetable. We have no idea. My heart just drops when I hear stories like that. And I wanted to write the story to a point that gives women courage to stand up because I was one of those women who always um, became a stepladder for other people. And right. that's not right. At one point, we need to say, you know what, enough is enough. We're not going to do it anymore. And now, is this... Is this uh, the culture, or is this the religion? religion? Yeah, yeah. I you mean, know, you, you grew up. Yeah, you it's grew a little up bit in of that. Yeah. Um, at one point, Persians. We call ourselves Persians. We right. call themselves Persians. We were proud of our history that women were emperors. But after, well, everybody trying to blame it on Islam. That's fine. But I understand from my own family. My father was a secular man. He never actually prayed uh, to God any day, to any God. and It doesn't matter. Well, he was more born Muslim, but it didn't matter. My mother was extremely religious, but she was a Kurd. So my mother would say that you and your brothers are equal, but I could see the inequality, even though that in our family she was the queen. Mm-hmm. My father never treated my mother right, even though that he never actually prayed to anything. So it was not religion that I can actually blame for his behavior. It's, it's the upbringing that my father had. My father never learned to respect women. My brothers never learned to respect women. And um, due to my good conscience, I cannot just blame everything on religion. It's all, um, the religion has become the miscellaneous file for a lot of Iranian men. Right. Whenever they actually shortcoming of something, they go, oh, that's our religion that brought us that way. No. Uh, uh, the government of Iran may be forcing a lot of things on women, including scarves and, uh, and outfits, which, I, which I'm outraged by it. But they don't send um, men to their homes and saying that um, marry your daughter at age 13. Families do that on their right. own. Right. So people should be actually accountable for their own mistakes. They have to know if they're making a mistake, it's okay to make it, but it's not okay not to admit it. It's not okay to lie about it. Because if we are lying about our mistakes, we cannot be good role model to our children. Uh, so, so what is true Islam? The true Islam is, um, well, first of all, I have a, a column that I will send it to you, but go to UPI, go to spirituality column, uh, you will find the list of my columns there. The true Islam there, a man and a woman can be equal. And I know a lot of people will say, no, that's not true Islam. Actually, it is. In the time of Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace upon him, his daughter, Fatima, would go to war and actually stand behind behind him, would actually help him. His wife, Khadija, the first wife you're talking about, the, the one that he fell in love with her, even though she was 25 years older than him. Mm. He actually buried her in his, in his arms. He, he was there with her to the last minute. If he was such a man that everybody's talking about, he was an abusive man. She was a merchant at the time. She was a businesswoman at the time. He wouldn't marry her. So we had chances. We had opportunities in history to look at what real Islam is. But remember, the real Islam doesn't work for men of Saudi Arabia doesn't work for the men of Persia, doesn't work for the men of Iraq, doesn't work for the men of Turkey. Men rule 
Islam, they rule women. Yes. And yes. so I don't buy it that everything is the name of religion done in the Roman religion is right. Because uh, take a look at all these wars that we had since the beginning of history. In none of them, women were the dictator of those wars. Men were. Yes. Yes. So I don't agree with religion brought this to me. I think men wanted uh, them uh, to accept it. Uh, when, when Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, was alive, a man went to him and said, I just came back from war, but I also went to my family, and I had this woman in my life that I thought that my, my wife just bought her as a, as a kenese or a servant, and I wanted to have a relationship with her. And she mentioned, this is your daughter. So I took my daughter to the desert, to Sahara, and I buried her life. Prophet Muhammad said, go somewhere that I won't look at you anymore. I don't want to see you. And go ask God for forgiveness. If Prophet Muhammad said to women, cover yourself, is not because women today need to cover themselves. Women need to be strong. But 1,400 years ago, if you were not covered, you became a bait. You right. became a problem. Sorry, if, no, I don't mean you as a person. Right. I meant you as a third person becomes a prostitute. Right. Women who were not covered... They were actually a prostitute. I went to Dubai in 2006, and I remember I was wearing a white suit. My, my, one of my best friends is a very large man in, in Dubai. He actually said to me, don't wear white. I said, what do you mean, don't wear white? You are wearing white. He said, only prostitutes wear white in oh, this country. Gosh. So you see, there are cultural habits right. that we turn them as rules of Islam. There are a lot of uh, idiosyncrasies in every culture. Islam seemed to be, in many factors, that sort of a trash ball or that a miscellaneous fall that everybody who, who's short of explanation just dropped and dumped it in there. Mm. And I'm one of those women, I'm sick and tired of hearing that. If Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, was today, I'm a woman that can play martial arts. I'm a woman that debate a man at any time, at any given moment. I'm a woman that if a man insults me, he might receive a, more than a slap to his face. He might br break a couple of his teeth. <laughs> Good I'm for a, you. I'm a woman that stands up to a man, and I say right. that my, my signature, my word, is, is matter to me, and I'm a woman that I say my name when I'm anywhere, and I, men are scared the hell of me. And I don't need to be covered from head to toe because I can cover myself. Right. I carry pepper spray. If somebody says something, he, he better be ready for it. I have a, uh, I have a cell phone that I can call 911, and I can testify behalf of anyone in front of anyone if, if I needed to. So when Islam says cover yourself, that cover was needed back then. But the cover for me is my knowledge. Right. Now, how about all these women that were doctors and educated in Iran? And, and now, what's going on there? I mean, that they can't even really practice, can well, they? Well, some they do, some they don't. Remember, it depends on what you used to do and depends on what you want to do. For instance, all the women who were in army, they were let go after uh, Shah left. All the women who were in agriculture business, businesses that men used to do. I remember back in Iran, um, uh, when Shah left, there were three uh, women pilots. But because government of Iran did not have the instructor, they kept those three, but they never talked about them. Mm. Um, everybody assumed that we, we didn't have women pilot after Shah left. No, we only didn't have the one that the government uh, wanted to mention. Um, but they used the women whenever they needed to. And I remember standing up at the, at the door of my, our house. Our house was actually opened right directly to the major street. I saw a crowd of women walking, their head down, 
crying because the regime, as soon as they came in, they let them go. They fired them. Now, mm. if I was a woman that was fired at the beginning of revolution, I would have stand up and said, what the heck are you talking about? I just brought you to this, go- to, uh, to this governing go- body. How could you let me go? I would have started a revolution right then and there, and that would have been the best time to start it because everybody was hyped up. Everybody had their, uh, had their uh, hormones up, and everybody was interested to have something, something going on. The chaotic uh, factor was a good element for de- destroying this regime, but they didn't. The women went home and cried. And, and, but there were many women that came to this country for the freedom. That's correct. Uh, I mean, I, of, I have a neighbor who also, yeah, 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 who has come here. A lot of women, those who could, escaped. Yes. Those who didn't went home and made more babies. Yes. Just simple as that. And I have a problem with that as a feminist. I have a problem with that as a Persian woman. The population of Iran jumped from 37 million to about 75 million last 28 years. Oh. And people may say, well, uh, we needed to, we had a war, etc. No, that's just a mind game that government Iran played. I remember when I was 18 years old, uh, a man near our house, uh, a guy that who, who had a bakery shop, he, uh, he made a remark on me. He says, you know what, when are you going to get married? I said, none of your damn business. <laughs> and he was so surprised. I was 18 years old when I said that to him. He said, you know, you're awfully um, bold for your age. I said, well, you're awfully bold for your age. You, <laughs> you, you don't have the right to ask me when am I getting married. He says, you know that uh, we need to have more of the Ali's generation. I said, yes, Ali's generation is starving to death right now. Mm. There are about 10 million people who go hungry to bed every night. Yes. We have about 350,000 children who are actually living on the street in Iran right now. And that's a shame for Iranian because $1 billion of our Iranian money was given to Hezbollah to build Lebanon after Iran-Israel war. That's a shame that $100 million was given to Hamas just as a, just as welcome back. It's, it bothers me. It boils my blood when I see those images. It boils my blood when I see images of children on, on starving path of streets where we have so much money. We're not, a, uh, we're not a poor country. We're just um, being run very poorly. We mm. have the worst of worst of governments, but it doesn't mean that our people are dumb. No, we're not dumb people. No, and I think of, of the beauty and the, and the love when I think of, wasn't Rumi a Persian yes, uh, poet that had yes. gorgeous poetry? Yes. And, and I think, how, how could, I mean, Persia was such an advanced country, well, right? He, yes, it was. And I hope to God that there would be a time that you will see that glory again because Persians, I, I, I may be bragging about this, forgive me, I don't mean no, that's, America is a beautiful good, country, yeah. but but the real Persia was a beautiful, gentle giant at a time that they really um, loved to care for other people. And if, if there would be a, a chance to Iranian people, to Persian people, one more time in the history, we proved that we were, we were still that gentle giant. We are not the war mongols. We are not the religious war mongols. In fact, our religion should be staying in our heart as it is for everyone. Secularism is what Persia ran for thousands of years on it. And we would like to bring that back. Because whatever religion you want to have, it's between you and God. It has nothing to do with the other person. And it should be that way. Tell us what you remember about the American hostage situation. You were living there at the time, right? Yes. 
I remember the day that they were captured, and I remembered why they were captured. I, I, I have a shredder of the size that I saw in an American uh, embassy at a time. Why do I have a shredder that size? Because everything that comes out of my computer has to go to shredder. I don't want anything uh, in the hands of government of Iran, even right. though I live in this country. They have a lot of spies around. And uh, I remember uh, looking at these men coming out of this embassy with blindfolded, and mm. I felt so sorry for them. I felt we couldn't speak. A common language, obviously, and they were they were just as strangers to me as as Iranians probably were to you. But I felt their pain in my heart, and I said to myself, "Why are they arresting these innocent bystanders?" Right. And what they told us at the time, it was we were looking for information on Shah, and I thought, and I wrote it in my book. I said. Well, don't you think that the Americans have more common interests on what happens in Iran and what Iran plays in the future rather than right. a bunch of sort of um, haram horror secrets that you could you could just ask them instead yeah. of going after them like this? I mean, I've, 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 you've been in politics long enough to know this. You can get any information out of a politician if they know that there's a public interest in it. Right, right. And I think they should have just asked. And the other, the other thing that I uh, think it has happened, the government of Iran knew they would not la- last long if they would not live on terror. Mm. There, there is a proverb in, for, uh, in Farsi or Persian language. It's very, very appropriate to explain it to you. It says you kill the cat by the bed. It's the expression that abusive men use for their women when they marry the woman. They actually beat the hell of their woman the first night they marry her. To put her in her place. Yes. So when the government of Iran came into place, they actually did the same thing with America, even though that America may not sort of look like a, a weak woman, but doesn't matter. They wanted to prove to you this is the regime that we're going to bring on power. And nobody got it. Unfortunately, for those who got it, we were just children. We couldn't, we couldn't send this message to your politicians soon enough. <sighs> it took me 30 years to get here to tell you guys what I, know, what I knew then. If I could have done it sooner, uh, it would have sort of saved you 30 years of agony and saved us 30 years of agony. But what I'm doing these days, I'm getting the raw information from around. I analyze it, and I give it directly to politicians, and I would have an article sent to you in a few days. And I tell you what is actually happening in this country sometimes that benefit the government of Iran, even though we, would, we don't want it. Um, and if, if time permits, I will come back and explain more. Well, well, let me ask you something, because I think this is a huge issue now with, with Iraq. Um, we're in Iraq, and there are there's a, a great sentiment right. that to bring our boys home because it, right. it looks like it was mismanaged over there. Right. And I've seen you on Fox News saying that's not a good idea. Why don't you right. talk to that right now? What does that mean? Isn't that really what Iran wants for right. us to get uh, out of there? Right. Here's one thing that you want to know. First of all, trust is everything in that part of the world. Um, people, um, at least in, among Kurdish people, we sign. Um, we don't sign things. We actually shake hands. We still do. Uh, my, my grandfather family still do. You need to bridge that again. And uh, one thing that I've written recently, you want to go on omidia.org, is spelled O-M-I-D-A, it, uh, or I-D-A-I-A dot org. You want to take a look at it. It's an Israeli site that I'm part of them. And um, they asked my opinion what they should be doing in Iran. I said, look, first ask the people of Iraq, do they want you to stay or not? And if they said, no, we don't want you to stay, then pack and leave. If they said, yes, we want you to stay and help, then help them the way that they want to be helped. 
don't force something on them because if you do it you give a, an expression to the to the enemy that hey we are not here for for the people we are here for the oil right but how do you how do you ask them i mean well um, you, you can you can have you can have referendum you can have referendum people can actually participate in it again just like they did after uh, saddam hussein was uh, down and everybody showed their finger that's the best way to bring country to unity do you want to know if they want you there or not if they said yes you can stay as long as they permit it. They would say three to five years, five to seven years, seven to ten years, whatever, whatever number you put on a ballot. And if they said, we want you to out by next month, you should be out by next month because it's about people in Iraq. It's not about you guys. So what about if we did leave? What if, what if um, they said, we don't want you okay, here okay. and we left? So what, what do you think would happen this, with Iran? The situation has changed from a few months ago when we were talking about that. Back then... Everybody and people were not clear that why U.S. is there. And when we were talking, we were supposed to provide Iraqis with fresh water and, fre- uh, and electricity. Right now, most people don't have water and electricity. So we haven't done much to improve that. If we want to show them that we are there to help them, that should have been the priority. That hasn't been the priority. Building an embassy has been the priority. Uh-huh, and right. that sounds like a plantation. Even though that you want to get them to work, you're not get them to work to um, build Iraq. You get them to work to build you uh, an empire, and that's a wrong image. Right, right. And uh, if you go and Google my my article, I said that I, I said what should be done in Iraq. You would know that I have a bunch of points there, and that's based on the knowledge I get from Iraqi people themselves. I have connection with them, and they they asked me to write it, and I, so I did. So people are emailing you from Iraq and Iran? I have connections, yes, through, through um, some of the sheikhs that um, they're, I know them back in Canada. They're Iraqi members, and um, they have connection to Iraq. I've made it available um, in an open channel so they can give me the information, because sometimes the, the information that comes to television is not exactly the accurate. It's, it's edited. Right. And unless you work with unedited data, you wouldn't know what is right and what is not right. Iraqi people had 120 Fahrenheit days per, per this summer, Ugh. and they didn't have drinking water. They oh didn't have God. electricity for nine hours. Anyone would have become um, your enemy. Even the, even yes. the, even even your own family becomes sort of um, um, bold when you don't have nine hours of electricity per day on 120 Fahrenheit. They they want they want America now because they think America has brought them less what they had, and that's. That's not the image you wanted to have there. No. We're speaking with Ghazal Omid, who is a human rights activist. She is a personal privacy proponent, a media commentator on Iran and Iraq, and the author of Living in Hell. And um, I want to get back to this now. How about, what, what do you think would happen, really, if... Iraq becomes the next Iran if it falls into the control of the fundamentalists. Well, it has already. In fa- it has already. In fact, Iranians are so happy that they see a Shia government in Iran, uh, in Iraq. Sorry, I wrote in my article that I'm a Shia, but when I look at the governing body of uh, Iraq, in fact, uh, when Maliki went to see um, Ahmadinejad and uh, and uh, Khamenei, he looked like a little school kid in front of his scary principal. So basically what it is, you guys that didn't help Iraq is by bringing a Shia government, even though, as I say, I'm a Shia uh, scholar. I don't like to see that happening. I, I like to see a, a canal 
built between religion and uh, and the secularism. In fact, what you don't know, or most people don't know, is when you're a religious sort of um, mullah in Iran or Iraq or in Afghanistan or, let's say, Saudi Arabia, you don't have an income by yourself. You get paid by other people. Right. These people don't go into universities and teach, and they're not, they're not teachers or people who actually um, can have their own opinions. Somebody pays them. And when somebody pays you, that becomes a special interest. That somebody has, a, has an opinion on your opinion. You're not unbiased. My problem with the Shia government in Iraq is most of these mullahs, they don't work independently. They get paid by somebody. And I like to see who is that somebody. Right, so you think they're getting paid really from uh, yeah. the Iranians or the Saudis yeah. or someone yeah. else, yeah. Yes. And even, they, even though they might get paid by U.S. government, I don't like to see a mullah in the, ma- in, in the assembly. A mullah doesn't have political background to be in assembly. What is his business to be there? What is he going to talk that a uh, politician cannot talk? If, if we wanted to have a secular government, why is it we call it Islamic? Right. Uh, in, in, in Afghanistan... You send so many soldiers to Afghanistan to get rid of Taliban only to bring Islamic government of Afghanistan right. to power? Uh, and that's what, exa- that's what they're saying. I mean, that's what I'm hearing when they're speaking in Afghan language. We are the, the, the Republican of Islamic Afghanistan. Uh, that's not what I thought United States people had in mind. So what advice do you have for people of Iraq? Well, my advice is, instead of listening to Shia religious people who are getting paid by the government of Iran, think of their country as one unity instead of three sectors or three sects or three, three partitions. They wanted to look at their flags and they want to be Iraqis. Iraqi people don't like to hear the three partitions, and I think U.S. politicians need to stop that, stop memorizing Stop buying that. into that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Iraqi people don't like the fact that you are there because they think that you're using them. So ask them, would they like you to leave? And if they said yes, leave on their terms. Because um, apparently we were not able to restore a lot of things. Help them from far. But when you have a contract in Iraq that gets paid about $300,000 per month, more than Secretary um, of Defense is, um, and that man um, sort of there for, for a few months, Iraqi people could fill up some of those jobs. They want, to, they want to do it. Let them do it. Tell them that you're there for them, almost like a mother, that you had to let your child go to a uh, school that you know that they're bullying him. Right, right. You have no choice in that matter. You either let the child to be homeschooled forever and become a sort of a um, different kind of child you had in mind, or you have to let her fight for himself or herself. I, I think we all had that choice in life. Well, or that obligation. Rather. When we look at Iran and see the oppression there and, and the, you know, the prisons and the killings and all those mm-hmm. things that are going on, um, what, what do you, what's your advice for the Iranians? I mean, they seem so powerless right now. Well, Iranians are powerless only because uh, the U.S. politicians don't seem to be listening to Iranians right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we asked for a velvet revolution, but velvet revolution cannot happen if the U.S. government decides, says, you know what, I'm going to watch you to you do a velvet revolution. At this point, um, Iranian people cannot afford it, and I mean that by dollar sign. I don't mean by life. 
Um, I'm going to send you a series of articles. You can take a look at it. You can actually post it on your site yes, later Yes, we on. can put it by your interview. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, you can take a look at uh, Iranian youth getting killed, I mean, literally, quite literally getting hanged by the Iranian regime, and they're not, they're not shy about it. Uh, Iranian people are not, not only mourning them, but they're also turning them to heroes because we, we value their life. They're, they're dying for a cause. But when we have politicians in here that they don't know which organization they should be using or who they should be helping and how they should be helping, that becomes a problematic. The Iranian youth is losing their lives where we don't know how we can help them. Iranian people need velvet revolution. What velvet revolution is what Gandhi did many years ago, in many decades ago. We need to allow the Iranian to stay at home, get paid by $100 per family. Not, not hundreds of thousands of dollars per family, $100 per family per month. Just to give them enough food and water so they can actually stand not going to work. If we have 3 million families, 4 million families not going to work for about 3, 4 months, the entire economy would collapse. I see. So That's yeah. as simple as, as 3, 4, 5 months, 6 months. You know what? Um, entire revolution of Iran took about uh, three, four months in t- uh, when, I was a, when I was a child. I think the same thing could happen to this, this regime. And in fact, there is a prophecy that Iranian regime would go at uh, 2008. And I, I didn't write that prophecy. That prophecy has been in our history for 700 years. And government of Iran burned that book as soon as they came to power. <sighs> yes. And how they're indoctrinating. I had read another article where you're talking about how they're indoctrinating with their textbooks for yeah. little children. Tell us about that. Well, back in Iran when we were kids, um, we were, we, it's still actually the same thing happening. I just not, I'm not a kid anymore, unfortunately for me. <laughs> well, um, you're a kid at heart, just yes, like me. Yes, I am a kid at heart. I'm a rebel <laughs> for the cause. Right. They, they, they would line us up every morning from 7 to 7.30. We would go to school at 7.30 a.m., go to starting classes. And at 7, they wanted to be us uh, in lineups, rain or shine. They would say death to America, death to Israel, death to Europe, death to um, England, death to whoever they decided that they to be their enemy. Right. And these slogans may 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 seem innocent at bystanders or at those children because they don't know what they're saying. They just want to get to the classes. And if right, they don't it's just rote memory. Yeah. Yeah. It's just basically they're 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 a bunch of nothing. Looking back right now, I see that those slogans were actually brainwashing mechanism. Exactly. And those children were likely to become the enemy of West because they practiced it for so many years. They have no choice. Look, hatred is, is taught. It's not, it's not inherited. Right. So as kindness. Of course, kindness. We all we all born to be somewhat human. We we all have that sort of cherished um, memory that we want to we want to give or we want to suck or we want to do something. But giving people your heart is actually taught. So as hating people, mm. and when we have children that rain or shine, stand and yell and shout death to America, don't expect them to be the lovers of America. And what? those children are not the, they're, they're also the victim. I want to point that out. Those yes, children never had a better life. Right. Nobody grows up in the morning and say, hey, I want to be the terrorist tomorrow, or right. I want to be the dumb tomorrow, or I want to be the prostitute tomorrow. People have no choices in their things that happen in their lives sometimes. No, and, and obviously they're not going to be happy doing these things. You no. Know? They're, no. They're really not. So I have a question that, that always makes me wonder here. 
people like you who who are so bright and so understanding and and I I assume you're still um, uh, practice Islam, Very but much so, yeah. okay. So why aren't the non-extremists? Why are there not more non-extremists speaking up like you are? I and, cannot tell you how many times I have got this question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I I have heard of other, uh, and it yes. always seems to be the women that are speaking yes. up. Yes. Why well, is that? First of all, you said at the beginning of the uh, show that hell is yet to come for you. That's the kind of email I receive. Yeah. Last, just going to tell you that last couple of weeks has been very radical for me. I've got people um, coming out of Senate. I've got people followed me. i got people writing my license plate. i got people listening to my conversation. My numbers keep changing every month, basically, mm. to keep myself ahead of. Um, I, I ran my uh, spider every 30, se- every 30 minutes. Yes. People ran it every, every three months. I have to run it every 30 minutes to make sure that my computer is not affected I, or I have... This is the kind of life I chose for myself. But can right. you imagine... You know, how many times I've got this email saying that, okay, why, why aren't the Muslims standing up? Look, it's not cheap. The price that you pay, you pay with your life. And the Islamists are the KKK of Islam. They are the cancer growing on a body, but they are strong. And when I go to police and they tell me, sorry, you know what, I thank you so very much for what you're doing, but you're, you know what, I'm sorry, you're on your own. That doesn't give you a lot of courage to come out and say, hey, I'm going to be the Muslim that's standing up to, to But there's radicals. so many, I mean, but I would imagine that there's many other they people They terrorize that you. They terrorize you. They shun you. They, <sighs> they make you feel obliga- um, obsolete from the society. They make, uh, whether, whether you're Muslim or not, when you speak against the terrorists, you become their number one enemy. They want to get rid of you before they get rid of their whoever call enemy because right. they know that you are from them and you know every secret that they know. Right. So you become the you, you become the prey. You know, we had um, an FBI agent on uh, several weeks ago, and he talked about he went undercover as a terrorist, but it was the, you know, white supremacist one. But he right. said that all terrorists around the world read the same books. Right. And that we should not even really call them terrorists, call them murderers, call are, them murderers. criminals. Exactly. Because they, they like being called. Very, very true. That, that gives them pleasure. It gives them, uh, remember. In They're a, martyrs. Then. Yes. In a mind of psychopath. Nothing makes them more important than printing in large prints that they killed somebody. Right. They get a high out of that. Right. And but I would think there would be such strength in numbers if people would just speak out, you know, that, that those who, who, who come together. At well, there the are a number of reasons to it that they're not coming out. I actually happen to speak about a few of them here and there. Um, there's a lot of people saying that why the modern Islam doesn't stand up. Right. Well, I write constantly. I nearly these days I write an article a day, and it's not an easy thing to do. I think you right. know you know yeah, that. I know that. But but when I write that, when the, when I when I'm on the radio show and I get somebody on the other side saying that Islam is nothing but a fascist religion, I'll be honest with you, that doesn't leave me with a lot of leverage. If right. you see, if if the if you if the murderers can turn my God against your God and turn you and against me, right. then they won. They have actually won that fight. Right. They, they turn us against each other. But what I'm, tr- what I'm trying to say to them, to Christians in particular, look, 
We pray the same God. You may do it differently, but it's the God of heaven and earth. The uh, all paths lead to the same place. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. When they say, no, my God uh, doesn't teach me. I said, look, get over your fear, because 1,400 years ago, all our ancestors had a sword in their hand, and all of them were bloody. Yeah, yeah. And don't, don't blame one religion or another because what happened in history. I'm sorry for what happened in history, but I'm not going to let you blame me for it. Right, um, right. And when we keep doing that, what has happened to children, to Muslim children who are in this country, the one that they have to stand up, they think... Christians or Jews, uh, I'm, I belong to a lot of group of Jews, by the way. They, they, they love me to have there, and I love to be there because we think that together we can actually stand up to murderers, and together with Christians we can stand up to murderers. Right. But if, if somebody want to put me in front of their religion and saying that, you know what, my religion is better, better than yours, I think that's the kind of talk that would get to the nerve of Muslim children to be numb. Right. And I think that's a wrong message we are sending out. And a lot of it happens. Take a look at most websites right now. Most of them are writing articles about Islam that make anybody's blood boiling. Look, I was coming out of House of Commons uh, in the U.K., and I have this guy with a textbook project. His name is Sam. He was a Muslim at one point, ter- teaching terrorists. Now suddenly he became the converted Christian. And he says to me, Ghazal, you're such a bright woman, such a beautiful woman, but why are you Muslim? Mm. Oh, it made me, it, it turned me to something I didn't want to be. I said, look, I don't want to stand you, stand in front of you, and I don't, otherwise I would slap you. I said, I don't want to see a Christian comes to me and say, why are you Muslim? That's not the kind of teaching I'm teaching. We want to say, you have your religion, I have mine, we respect the commonality, and that's about it, and that's the kind of teaching we want to have for right. children. Right. Well, all religions really teach love, and exactly. I think I think the problem is is when anyone really bastardizes exactly. any religion. Exactly. Any, I mean, you think of the Crusades, or you think of exactly. any any anything exactly. that you've got when people really um, get off the path, get totally off the That's path. That's exactly true. And one of the reasons that we are turning away moderate Muslim is by writing um, by writing nasty stuff about Islam. I'm trying to put that in writing as as good as I can, as polite as I can, and as accurate as I can. But a lot of Christians think that, oh, everything written in Quran. But look, Quran is a book of God. If you, if somebody doesn't like it, it's between that person and God. I'm not, I'm not going to defend God because God doesn't need my minuscule defense. He can take care of his own. But by saying nasty stuff against Quran or against Islam, we only strengthen the enemy. Exactly. Gazelle, isn't, is, aren't there just like in any, um, in the Bible or in any uh, religious teaching, there is always those of us yeah. who see the world uh, or see the scripture and interpret it. I mean, there's always perceptions, you know, as a lawyer who's a mediator, right. I could sit in a room with, you know, 10 people and every single person right. in that room will have a different perspective Absolutely. of what of what an agreement says. I understand that. And that, oh. isn't that even the same? I mean, I'm the question I have is the leaders of Islam, some of the ones who are right. very, like you said, the moderate, the ones who, right. who, who teach love, right. why aren't they getting together and, and speaking up? That, they have the power to do right. that. Well, one of them happened to be in Iraq. They, they, uh, the guy that you probably have seen on television, or we're talking about um, Sistani, 
he's one of the moderate ones. He's the one that leader. But right. I've, I've actually asked of his followers many times. I'm not his follower. Every mullah has a series of um, sort of followers of different countries. But I respect the man very much. I think his opinion is valued. I asked them, why aren't you sending a fatwa out saying that? Did you know that how many times they killed his followers right in front of his eyes? Mm. They actually threatened the man. Mm. He's, in, he's in 90s. He's in early 90s. And they threatened to kill him if they he did or said something like that. So for us to say, why is there not a bunch of mullahs to stand up? My, I have a friend who's a mullah. But you stand up. Look, I'm. I have my. Uh, I have my backpack ready anytime that somebody <laughs> come after me. People you can come fam- to my house. <laughs> yeah, people with families cannot do this. I know that you guys think I'm just joking, but it's actually the honest to God. That's the, that's the reality of a life of an activist, a Muslim, Iranian Muslim activist. You will be checking under your car every day. I check <sighs> for bombs every day. I check my mail every day that I might get it, get something that's going to kill me. I receive hate mail, and I, I'm fighting with uh, the Islamists, the, uh, the Islamofascists, the, the radicals, the, the sort of uh, uh, the enemies of Islam. But remember, not everybody can do that. When my friend Mullah in, um, in Vancouver, Canada, sent me an email, he said, look, send this to media, let them know that this is happening. We had a radical uh, Muslim from Saudi Arabia saying to Shia um, followers, you can kill the Canadians, it's okay, it's the name <laughs> of God. And he, he sent that to me right away for let me know, for, for, to let you guys know, to let you guys in the media, to let you guys in, in outside world know, because he wanted to write a letter, he wanted to send it out, and they told him, we're going to burn your family, we're going to kill you. Oh. You see, just because you're in the West, doesn't mean that you're protected. I have absolutely zero protection. You guys have more protection than I do. I'm a public eye. Yes. I'm on my own. Yes. So please, for those who say that, why the Muslim mother don't stand up, when you're in the public eye, you're on your own. That's what the message is. And a lot of people say that since a lot of Christians or a lot of Jews write nasty stuff about Islam, let them pay. Let them pay with their lives. People become numb about each other's pain because we don't really care to protect one another. Until we build a history with one another, saying that, you know what, if you're not protected, come to me and I'll protect you. Yes. We cannot expect them to stand up for us. That honest to God. And a lot of people keep saying that, well, Gazelle, you're not, you don't, you're not protected. Why don't you stand up? Because I don't have anything to lose. My life is the only thing I own. It's just amazing that it, it is a woman <laughs> that is doing this, you right. know. I mean, I have read about other women who also. Do you remember? And I forgot her name. And I, you probably know who she is. Um, she was from Iran, also, who used to be Muslim. She is not right now, but she has. Um, she's actually been on TV, and she has uh, been on. I guess. Uh, I don't the, know if you're talking about a Muslim or you're talking about Hershey Ali. Are you talking about um Angie Hershey Ali or those? Uh, the, she a- actually um, has debated many of these. Um, you know the the leaders of the church of the right. leaders of the the mosques. Right. Have, you know who I'm talking about? My mind. No, is I, I I don't know. Unfortunately, there's I'm going to send of, you. I'm going to send yes. you. But it's always the women. That's well, because you know what, women have it the worst in in Islamic countries. And I and I my my heart goes to them. Until I understood Islam, I lost my faith. I was an actually an atheist at age 13. 
I'm going to send you what I've been asked to put on one of the uh, Israeli sites because they wanted to know me before flying me to Kenisa and talk to them in front of Kenisa. So I wrote to them, what am I and who am I? I lost my faith at age 13 because I was molested by my own brother. So I said to God, unless you prove me that you care to me, care about me, I will be denying you to the last day of my life. Get, get this picture. A, a Jewish rabbi friend of ours who... I was in his house when I was five to seven years old. My mother and our family, we rented his second um, story house. He paid for my trip to go to Mecca. Mm. And you have no idea what kind of respect I have for the man, for his religion. Um, I believe what I am today is because Mr. Sassoness. Yes, and that's the way it should be, loving each other, right? Yes, he taught me to love despite the fact I had absolutely no faith at the time. And when I was actually went to Mecca, when I, when I did that pilgrimage, I wasn't a Muslim, I must say that. And under Sharia law, under the current laws of the government of Iran, they would have beheaded me if they would have known that oh I'm not Muslim. Oh they would have beheaded me in Saudi Arabia if they would have known that I'm not Muslim. But God didn't care about that. God picked me up from Iran, took me to Saudi Arabia. When I entered the house of God, I didn't know what to expect, and that's honest the truth. But my knees started shaking at age 13. And is that when you regain your faith? That is where I gained my faith, yes. And Entire that's why year, yes. I was just going to say, and that's why you have so much courage, because you have, you have the strength of God within you. That's why. <laughs> I don't know if he has given me his strength, but he has well, how do you know it it's clear. A, you don't know if it's he or she anyway. Yeah, <laughs> he has made, uh, God has made it clear to me. Look, I have nothing to do with the abuse. I understood what God has given us. God has given us a supercomputer called our brain, and he doesn't run regular checkup on us because we have the choice to make it what right, it is. Right, right. And if we get viruses, if we, wa- if we actually commit crime, it has nothing to do with God. No, we, it's fallen off. Yeah. We always blame God for everything, and I always uh, tell this our beloved God out there, I say, look, I feel sorry for you because if it's good, if it's good we did it. If it's bad, it's your fault. <laughs> right, right. Honestly. And I felt bad when I when I actually convinced myself that it was God's fault that I went through all the trouble that I went through, where he had nothing to do with it. He wanted to show me, look, I created you, but I didn't give you the misery. Evil does harm to us in the name of every religion, in the name of people. And we see it as God's work. Evil does things, and we translate as passages of Quran, passages of Bible, passages of Torah, passages of everything. Right. And our, our history is full of that. Let me ask you something. How, what are you doing? Yeah, Lloyd says we have about five minutes. I want to get to this. I know you're in Washington, D.C., so that you could make, have some impact. What, what are you doing there now? And, and are you getting any, are you really getting through to these people? Well, not really, but if you can help me, I would really appreciate it. Well, look, um, you're either wanted or you're hated. Right, right. (laughs) That's always the case. I didn't see any medium in Washington, D.C., some people love me, my mind politicians. Some people want nothing to do with me because they know that I'm telling the truth, and by telling that, it can bring them down. Oh, goodness. So, so, yes. so what are your goals there? My goal is to get my nonprofit organization, org off the ground. Okay. My goal is to get enough funding for that, and I, my goal is to get Iranian people to do a, a violent revolution and helping Iranian children to educate them, helping Iranian women to give them courage to stand up for themselves. 
Are you uh, help getting people who have are expatriates from Iran? Are you getting some, them together? Some. Uh, the problem with expatriate is because I uh, practice my religion, that a lot of them are very annoyed by that. Even though they don't say it publicly, they're very annoyed by the religion. They think that everything is the, uh, the fault of religion. So we are, uh-huh. we are having a little bit of difference of opinion on that. But we try to work on, uh, on, on a co- common cause as often as we can. For instance, right now, these days I'm working on a common cause of two um, young people who were killed uh, a couple weeks back in Iran. And it was done through a channel of um, sort of people. They shouldn't be making this mistake, and it will become public. So very soon, and I'll send you an article on it. Oh gosh, the what? What led you to this political activism? I mean, how did you how did you just decide I'm going to be an activist? Well, political? thank you for asking. Um, I, when I when the book was published, I was on the radio show in. Um, in California, in fact, and uh, a man called me from Iran on the radio live via satellite. He said, "Thank you for writing the book. What have you done for your country?" And it so suddenly it was as if I jumped out of coma and go, "Oh my gosh, he's right." Uh, it all came back suddenly with a, with a force that I have never um, seen anything. It's almost like you 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 you, you sort of see tsunami in front of you. All yes. the memory came back up because I had buried it alive. I didn't want to have anything to do with it all. Mm. But the passion came back and the humanity, thankfully, came back. And uh, I'm I'm doing everything because I couldn't save my own childhood, but I can save others. You I know, you know the what theory. they say, that the greater the pain, the greater the growth. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know? That's exactly what it is. Yes. So what else is the next step in your life? Do you, you have any other books you're working on? Well, I'm working on three books, but most publishers, because I wrote my book the way I did, some of them, they're not very happy about it. They think I'm far right and far left. Um, I, I would have to have a publisher with the courage to publish my book because they are afraid of backlashing. So if uh, any of your listeners are in publishing business, if you're in publishing business, if you know anyone, I'm interested. I have three books, Islam 101, Poverty and Paradise, and Iran's Future. Yeah. Well, you know, nowadays you can you can do ebooks. There's you know there's so many things you can do, and I think the fact that you've been willing to go to the media, you've been willing to speak, yeah. you've been courageous enough to do it. That in itself is enough to Thank really you. get people going. Thank you so very much. Appreciate I want you to give your website too, because Lloyd's telling me we're getting close. I could talk to you for hours. I want you to come out to our house. Really. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Very kind of you. I'll make sure to uh, reserve that for next time. I, I <laughs> can I have a rain check next time? Yes. I get a hate mail. <laughs> okay. Uh, the website are livinginhell.com. All one word. Um, livinginhell.com and gazelomid.com www.gazalomid.com It's worth it if anybody's explore. Well, I want to thank you so much for Pleasure. joining thank us you. and thank we you. will talk soon. Send me those articles. I'll put Absolutely. them up on the and website. Please, um, uh, ask anyone who's interested in the book to go on amazon.com. If they can't afford it, go to libraries of their universities or anything around, or any other libraries. I made it available to the to libraries in, across the U.S. and Canada. Yes, let's say that again, that the name of the book is Living in Hell, Islamic Iran, Ghazal Mid Lost Soul. And that is published, who, tell your publisher again. Park Avenue Publisher. Park Avenue Publisher. So you can ask the university library if you're at a university or your regular library, or you can go to Amazon.com, and you really need to go to her websites and see all the great work that uh, that Gazelle is doing. And we thank you again so much thank for you joining so very much us. for and, having me. And you bless bless you for all the great work you're doing. We thank appreciate you, it. Okay. Thank you. You, you've been listening to... 
KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy. And we've just been speaking with Gazala Mead, who's a human rights activist, personal privacy proponent, a media commentator on Iran and Iraq, and the author of Living in Hell. And she has done, right now, she's becoming a political activist and trying to get our own Congress to understand what's going on in Iran and Iraq. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you, Lloyd, for being a great engineer. Good night. See you next Wednesday. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.